So we're with the Tiger Swami. Yogananda and his friend have just entered into his room. They've just been introduced to him. And the conversation has started, of course, from his physical strength. The young boys want to know how he did what he did. And I want to read this one paragraph is where we left it. But again, it's very powerful, very impactful, for especially for us. Those of us who are not going to be going around and fighting tigers, but we certainly have our own battles to fight. We're on page 52 of chapter 6. Um, and here the Tiger Swabi was essentially talking about that while the body may be very fit and strong, it is really the mind that is the wielder of the muscles and of the power. And this is what he says here. Mind is the wielder of muscles. The force of a hammer, hammer blow, depends on the energy applied. The power expressed by the man's bodily instrument depends on his aggressive will and courage. The body is literally manufactured and sustained by the mind. Through pressure of instincts from past lives, strengths or weaknesses percolate gradually into human consciousness. They express as habits, which in turn ossify into a desirable or undesirable body. Outward frailty has mental origin. In a vicious circle, the habit-bound body thwarts the mind. If the master allows, to be, um, allows himself to be commanded by a servant, the latter becomes autocratic. The mind is similarly enslaved by submitting to bodily dictation. So we talked about this in a fair amount of detail, just the importance of strengthening the mind as we work on strengthening the body as well. And in fact, using the mind as a means to change and transform our body accordingly. And the Tiger Swami goes further than to share how he did this and what his particular experience was. My earliest ambition he continues, was to fight tigers. My will was mighty, but my body was feeble. So here both Mukunda and his friends, they shared a gasp. How is it possible this man who I'm looking before me, how could his body be feeble? But he says, it was my indomitable persi persistency in thoughts of health and strength, which allowed me to overcome my handicap. I have every reason to extol the compelling mental vigor which I found to be the real subduer of the tigers. So very important for us to re remember, especially those of us who use the power of affirmations and those of us who aren't using the power of affirmations to realize that we need to and ought to be using. But those of us who are already doing these affirmations we have to put a lot more power, a lot more consistency, persistence, and as he says over here, an aggressive will and courage. We can't just be saying this half-heartedly with a big part of our mind not quite believing what we are saying, not quite supporting the transformation that the words could actually affect in us. And this is, you can say, the secret of the Tiger Swami right here. Affirmations, not necessarily something he was repeating, but his mind was so clear about the health that he wants, the power that he wants, was so clear on what he wanted to do with that power. He says, as, 
as er my earliest ambition was to fight tigers can you imagine what kind of a uh, karma from the past he would have brought a thought pattern from the past that he really just wanted to do that and even though his body didn't support him in that particular desire he made it happen and believe me we can make anything happen we set our minds to but it requires a lot of power will and courage from our sides yogananda you have anything to say narayan mukunda says over here very sweetly do you think reverend swami that i could ever fight tigers <laughs> as a little child of course and then he says this was the first and the last time that this bizarre ambition ever visited my mind but narayani had mentioned in the previous class you know yogananda's young he was so enthusiastic is like he really wanted to know so he's you know that thought existed in him and it's almost as he expressed it that desire was able to also be taken away from him but then the swami says yes he was smiling but there are many kinds of tigers some roam in jungles of human desires no spiritual benefit accrues by knocking beasts unconscious rather be victor over the inner prowlers now he's really bringing us back to the point of beyond all the excitement and enthusiasm of what he was able to do and in our own lives we don't have tiger swamis that we're looking for but we're looking for people who make a lot of money who are very beautiful looking who have a fabulous body who you know have a lot of magnetism who are able able to attract what they want so we're looking at those people in awe and saying do you think i'll be able to do that as well i mean that's what our desire really is you know beyond uh, all the stuff that we say oh, we want god but uh, you know we actually want money more we want fame more we want recognition more we want love more and it's normal and so therefore we continue to have to learn those lessons and we get enmeshed in it but here of course the tiger swami is bringing us back to realize yeah sure you could fight tigers sure you could be rich sure you could make a lot of money sure you could be famous but those aren't the battles that were really meant to fight it is the inner demons it is the tigers of our inner desires that we have to overcome and that's where our battle lies and he says it is no spiritual benefit accrues from knocking beasts unconscious and it's the same for us however i i do want to add a side note in wanting or in the pursuit of trying to make a lot of money for example one has to naturally develop will concentration you know perseverance being able to put aside lower desires in pursuit of that particular so called higher desire so there's a lot of spiritual principles that get activated any time we try to achieve something in this world so if you look at from the perspective of what spiritual principles do i want to activate in my desire for whatever it is that your desire is then you'll be able to just like the tiger swami he developed a lot of spiritual qualities in the process of learning how to fight these tigers and for us that is where we overcome our karma we overcome our karma because i'm at this stage unable to poof just offer up a desire into the infinite in my meditation so well i'm just going to have to fulfill it because in fulfilling it i learn two things one well there's no such thing as fulfillment outwardly 
And two, there are certain qualities I have to develop to, to create that fulfillment. And it is those qualities that actually bring me the benefit that I'm looking for. Anything you want to add, Narayani? And then, of course, the kids come to the come to point, come to the right point, and they say, "Maybe hear how you changed from a tamer of wild tigers to the tamer of wild passions." And now we're more or less in a story mode, but there are just one or two more interesting kind of uh, gems in here. One is now the tiger swami is telling the story of how his changed and his transformation and shift occurred. And he said, one evening, my father entered my, entered my room in a pensive mood. Now, this is when he was much younger, of course. <clears throat> Son, he said, I have words of warning. I would save you from the coming ills produced by the grinding wheels of cause and effect. Excuse me, effect. So his father comes to him and says, Son, I, I want to say something to you. I'm trying to help you here. I want to save you from something that might happen because of the karma that you've created, which is the grinding wheels of cause and effect. And then, of course, the son, you know, Tiger Swami, as he was, he dismisses his father immediately. But then the father goes on to say, I believe in the law of retribution as taught in the holy scriptures. There is resentment against you in the jungle family. Very interesting words. There is resentment against you in the jungle family. Now, the Tiger Swami was not, you know, going into jungles and finding tigers that he could beat up. You know, wasn't like, he wasn't a bully. Uh, you know, he wasn't like, I want to show these tigers who I am. It wasn't anything particular. It was just he wanted to develop so much strength that he could take on tigers. Tigers being the epitome of you know, complete animal physical strength. And however, in doing that, in inadvertently, you could say, affecting tigers in this particular way, he was essentially creating a vortex of karma that the entire jungle family, the way uh, his father puts it here, was going to kind of balance that out with him. And this really brought an interesting thought in my mind is because we're constantly doing things against the plant family, jungle family, earth family, mineral family. So you can see why man is awaiting retribution now in return. This karma is not just what I do to Narayani, what I do to you, what I do to, you know, just people. This happens what I do to the wood, what I do to the ground what I do, of course, to animals, what I do to plants, and all of it is adding up to a karma that sooner or later, each one of us is going to have to face, and of course, humanity as a whole is going to have to face, and this is what the Tiger Swami was coming to that point where he too was going to face the jungle family's karmic retribution. Anything you want to add, Narayani? Okay. I only want to add that I think what the tiger, tiger Swami was also facing and needed to be corrected more also or equally than his actions was that sense of pride that he had developed um, for all the skills that he was able, able to perform. When he, and we can see that in this line at the beginning of this page when he says, 
I began to perform my feats publicly with gratifying success. And we can see this once we have developed a specific skill or a specific spiritual quality for those of us who are on the path. It's very important <laughs> that we keep it as something special, sacred, as something that doesn't need to be show off something that is given to us and at the same time it can be taken away any moment if we start showing that gratifying sense of wow look at what i have developed or look how long i'm be able i am able able to meditate or look how in tune i am or i don't know how many of those tendencies each one of us can develop on the spiritual path. So I, I want to bring out that thread from his learning at this specific time of his journey for the Tiger Swami. He was really developing spiritual pride. There was a power that yes, he developed by the consistent willpower and you know the way he redirected so forcefully and consciously his thoughts in order to become what he became and that's really in a sense the willpower that all of us need to put on the spiritual path we need to just keep stretching ourselves uh, every day more and more in order to achieve permanent results as the tiger swami showed with his body and his strength physical strength but exactly the same on the path so i think this is something we should be very mindful. mindful and careful when we feel that there is some specific spiritual quality we are developing and make sure we keep it we keep it always under control with the thought of you know um, this period of great you know upliftment and the inspiration that I'm receiving you know make our you know my karma may be back and that thing can be taken away any moment so um, that was the little thing i wanted to bring so of course the tiger swami continues with his father and says you know i mean i don't know what you're talking about what's wrong with you why are you so superstitious and these tigers they're merciless they don't care for anyone i'm actually bring putting them back in their place you know so a little bit of he started to feel like how dare my father come and say this to me and his father again finishing this conversation says to him son you compel me to relate an ominous prediction from the lips of a saint so now this is not his own his father's own thoughts this is where we hear he approached me yesterday as i sat on the veranda in my daily meditation now i love this part in my daily meditation you know so these people who are being approached by saints they're not regular people they are people who've been meditating daily they've been going deep daily and so they are completely receptive to the presence and they attract the presence of saints and uh, we attract presence of saints by our own consciousness and it's entirely up to us whether um, we have the blessing of saints coming into our lives or not and here his father was a daily meditator and this is what allowed him to receive this prediction directly
from this saint. And the saint said to him, Dear friend, I come with a message for your belligerent son. Let him seize his savage activities. Otherwise, his next tiger encounter shall result in his severe wounds, followed by six months of deathly sickness. He shall then forsake his former ways and become a monk. So, this is it. He's come, he's given a, a final decree. Ye hone wala hai, ye hone wala hai. At the end of it, he's going to change his ways and become a monk. So, the father now knows more or less what's going to happen. The son's not so interested in, you know, learning about these superstitious, fearful thoughts that his father has. And so, he decides that he's just going to do what he's going to do. And the story continues and now it's basically the story of him going out to the countryside but because he's quite well known as the tamer and fighter and subduer of tigers wherever he goes a little bit of you know hoo-ha begins to ensue so he ends up in this village in this town people realize that he's that guy and you know just seeing his body over here they say are those legs or tree tongue tree trunks you know so everybody's looking at him and getting all excited because it's a it's a formidable sight and he gets to where he's staying he's taken he's essentially gone to the countryside for some time of rest but then just a couple of hours while he's been there you know the these royal guards arrive at his door they say they want to take him to the prince he goes to the prince the prince then tells him that you know i want i have this i have caught this new tiger her name is his name is raja begum which is king and queen which kind of tells he's got the ferociousness both of a tiger and a tigress uh, because tigresses can be far more ferocious especially in the protecting of their cubs where tigers don't have that same instinct so he the prince wants the tiger swami to fight these tigers because he says i don't believe you know i think i mean you're a calcutta boy he calls him you're a calcutta boy fed on the city life and on white rice. I think all the tigers you fight, you know, they must have been fed opium or they were very weak and so it was easy for you to fight. If you can fight this tiger, then I will believe you and I will shower upon you a lot of gold. And he says, I give three conditions. That is that you successfully resist the tiger, that you bind him with a chain and that you leave his cage in a conscious state. Now, the Tiger Swami is actually not very keen on this fight. Also, he does not uh, appreciate the arrogance of the prince. But then the prince kind of puts him in a corner by saying, if you refuse to fight, I will sully your name across all lands by saying that you're actually a fraud and that you, don't really, you can't really fight real tigers. So he's kind of left with no choice. So he goes back and he starts, he says, uh, the fight's for a week from now. So he has to, he said, I have to put myself back in the frame of mind because I had come with the idea of resting, but now I have to fight. So he says, I it takes him a little while to train his mind and body to return to that state where he can really take on this tiger. Page, I'm on 56. Yeah. Well, we're just moving through the uh, story a little fast, quickly. The day of the um, fight arrives, you know, the prince has organized and has made a huge stadium. People from all over, thousands come to see this fight. The prince is making a lot of money <laughs> through ticket sales. 
and he's constructed a cage right in the middle and in the cage is the tiger and the tiger is you know roaring because he's hungry and he's not he's been fed just enough to keep him strong but not enough to satisfy him and there are all these rumors among the villagers that this tiger is actually not a tiger he's a you know he's the spirit of all the jungle animals who are very upset with the tiger swami and so every this is like it's super exciting for everybody and he enters he enters into the arena he enters he's just wearing his loin cloth he's otherwise completely you know without clothes and uh, he enters into the cage and the moment he closes the cage the tiger immediately attacks and just in the first attack the tiger pretty much tears a, most of his right hand so immediately he's lost the use of his right hand and he fights only with his left it's a very exciting i'm sure you can read and go into all the details at the end of it all he you know defeats the tiger it was very hard um he's very badly hurt just as he thinks the tiger is down and he's about to leave the tiger wake gets up for one last blow and tears open his shoulder <laughs> you know quite a uh, bloody sight on both sides but he does emerge victorious he comes out and he has fulfilled those three uh, requisites of resisting the tiger binding the tiger in chains and coming out conscious without anybody's help and of course he is heaped on praise after praise the crowds have gone mad the prince is showering him with gold coins but finally he then says do you want to go into this place the last part he says the king the prince presented him with the tiger it was part of his um, prize he says as raja begum was presented to me i felt no elation now normally this would be a very joyful and you know gratifying as narayan he said moment for him he says a spiritual change had entered my heart it seemed that with my final exit from the cage i had also closed the door on my worldly ambitions and this is another very kind of soft and subtle teaching for us is yogananda would sometimes say man learns more through fulfillment than through disappointment and so when we're working with our own desires when we are working with our own worldly ambitions sometimes it's beneficial for us to really put the energy out to achieve them so that we realize that they are in fact empty spirituality is not um kind of deluding ourselves into staying away from a desire even though the desire exists and then pretending that it doesn't exist so that you've overcome it because as long as a desire remains unfulfilled within you it's going to crop up at some stage or the other because these desires are not mental thought patterns these desires are energetic whirlpools vrittis in our deep spine in the shushumna and they aren't vanquished just by pretending that they don't exist by looking the other way now this is of course not reason to just go out and indulge in all your desires and fulfill all your desires as much as you can because then you will be over it because in fulfilling desires what do we do we strengthen that vortex of energy and the more i submit to a desire the more that energy becomes stronger and it, then it will just follow me again and again so you have to find that right balance where again your focus is not the desire 
but what you gain spiritually in trying to achieve that success that you're seeking. And this is what happened to the Tiger Swami. After achieving the success, achieving his final, you know, bloodiest, hardest battle he had ever fought. In fact, he says here, he's never before, ever, a tiger has never hurt him before the way Raja Begum did. So he realized that he had met his match. And after that, and still after having succeeded, now that shift has come because he felt, wow, I feel no elation, I feel no fulfillment the way that I think I should have. You want to have anything to say, Narayan? I know now that my teacher is the holy man who gave that wise warning to my father. He says to his father now, Oh, if I could only find him. Since my longing was sincere, he then says, one day that saint arrived unheralded. So, of course, as our sincere desire for God, for truth, for knowing what's really going on, once that takes hold within us, there's just no stopping it. That's the strongest desire there can be. And it begins to trump all other desires. And the saint, when he arrives, he says to him, Enough of tiger taming. Come with me. I will teach you to subdue the beasts of ignorance roaming in jungles of the human mind. You are used to an audience. Let it be a galaxy of angels entertained by your thrilling mastery of yoga. Such beautiful words. And this is the promise that all our gurus have for us. Yeah, you wanted this, you wanted that. Come, let me show you what you really want. You want an audience? Let your audience be angels in all the heavens who are thrilled by your mastery of yoga. And this is the mastery that we're looking. This is the mastery the Tiger Swami was looking, not over tigers, but in fact over himself. And in the end, I was initiated into the spiritual path by my saintly guru. He opened my soul doors rusty and resistant with long disuse so beautiful these images are just so beautiful our soul doors rusty and resistant they're creaking they don't want to open easily but the guru's power is what opens these doors up because the desire exists within us but unfortunately it's not strong enough it doesn't have enough power behind it and that's what the guru gives us he gives our own desire for god power and it's that power that lifts that desire above all other worldly desires so you know tune into your guru to receive that power from him Ariane, you want to say something before we end mm. this chapter is come to a close i was thinking about this guru disciple relationship and at the end of it i think the most beautiful thing of this chapter is this last paragraph when the tiger swami is almost like he can finally relax and let go of completely all those desires that he has been building up on all those expectations that he had about himself over a period of many years and he wouldn't rest until he became the best tiger swami and defeat uh, every tiger possible. But you could feel even in that process, there was a certain 
tension underneath and that's a tension that many of us carry with us over a period of many lifetimes is an underneath unseen hidden tension of wanting to do something else with the hope and the expectation that finally when we achieve that that outward goal will be finally happy and this is so beautiful because it's only when the guru your teacher a true path comes to you and shows you where true happiness lies then it's like all your armors all those layers that we have built around us they just keep fading away one by one and we can open ourselves completely to that guidance i i thought that this was really really beautiful recently i read from some people who write to us about the path of kriya yoga about wanting to learn uh, learning to meditate and some of them just write i'm interested that's all they didn't they don't say they don't write anything else they don't give us any more explanation but i'm interested about this workshop and i was thinking yesterday that's the problem with each one of us and why we don't attract the right guru the right experiences the right job the right you know anything because we are only interested we need to want it so desperately that only then will come to us So I I think here two things happen with the tiger swami first he really wanted to become you know this fearless um, fighter with tigers he accomplished that because he really wanted and did all that it took to make it happen and then the last part of his life also he really wanted he said oh i wish how i would like to meet that guru that swami that gave that message to my father and that wanting is what attracted that guru so i think from this chapter what i really got the most i need to develop a deeper desire to want to grow spiritually to want to be kinder to want to uh, be more generous or to want to whatever will be for you but start prioritizing in your life what are the things that you really want to make a certain progress and put all your energy into that direction and eventually that's the law of magnetism the more i put in that direction the more it will come back to me well, we're now in chapter 7 and we move from the tiger swami to the levitating saint the chapter starts with these words I saw a yogi remain in the air several feet above the ground last night 
This is a friend of Mukunda's saying that to him. And Mukunda giving him a smile says, was it, was his name Bahaduri Mahashaya? <laughs> so he kind of takes the <laughs> surprise away from his friend. And it, Upendra nodded, a little crestfallen, not to be the news bearer. This is a nice sentence here. My inquisitiveness about saints was well known among my friends and they delighted in setting me on fresh tracks. So it tells us about the circle of friends that Yogananda had and they were very, they all knew how deeply interested Yogananda was in uh, meeting with saints and receiving from saints on the spiritual path and it's that kind of friends that he had surrounding him he didn't have people who were interested in anything else and they were constantly on the lookout oh who is the new saint where else can we go what else interesting spiritually exists around and they were all together constantly trying to seek these uh, higher truths and it's important for us as well to see who our friends are as Narayani was saying, if you really, 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 really want something, well, you're going to have to make certain changes. You can't say, I really want that and then have a circle of influence, the environment around you kind of emphasizing something completely different. You're going to have to ensure that the energy around you, not just the energy in you, but the energy around you is also in harmony and in attunement with that which you really want. Which means, as Yogananda would say, if you want to be a successful businessman, you have to mix with businessmen. You can't be wanting to be a successful businessman and then go mix with people who have never achieved success because their magnetism will affect you. If you want to be a painter, you need to be going and really spending time with those who love to paint. And this is how it will work for each of us. Use the power of environment and magnetism of others as well to get in alignment with that which you truly desire. Then of course, Yogananda starts to tell his friend about Bahaduri Mahashaya because his friend has only met him once, whereas Yogananda in fact has met him several times. If you ever join us on a pilgrimage to Calcutta, which we do every now and then, we go to both, of course, Yogananda's house on Garpa Road and the ashram and the house of the levitating saint is just around the corner, just like a two, three, five minute walk. So Yogananda, many in fact, those that we will see um, furthermore. Yeah, within a, I don't know what, a 10 minute walking radius around Yogananda's house, there were lots of saints at that time. So Yogananda saw him often and he said, he has expertly mastered the various pranayams. Once Baduri Mahashaya performed the Bhastrika Pranayam before me with such amazing force that it seemed an actual storm had risen in the room. Now, if those of you who've practiced Bhastrika, you know the amount of energy and power it's going to take for people in the room to feel that a storm has entered in the room just because you are doing your Bhastrika. So, here, of course, Yogananda is talking about pranayam as a breathing technique, but he's talking about the subtler pranayam, which is such absolute control of life force that the power becomes apparent. He says, he then extinguished the thundering breath and remained motionless in a high state of superconsciousness. <clears throat> Then his friend says, I hear, I heard that the saint 
never leaves his home. So this is us getting just little glimpses of the life of this particular saint, of the levitating saint. It's lovely, you'll see just so many differences. Every Swami, every saint, every saintly person Yogananda is meeting has, a, has his own unique style, his own unique lifestyle, his own unique way of connecting with the Divine. And so it will help each of us because we're so unique. Kind of realize, okay, I, I could be this way too, I could be that way too. I don't have to fit one kind of standardized, stereotypical mold. However, underneath all their outward seeming differences, we also then see that one uniting factor and that we all have to do. We all have to achieve that one united state of consciousness, even if the outward form may look different. So in his case, he never left his home. And Yogananda said, this is indeed true. Then his friend says, how is it that he can levitate? And Yogananda explains, a yogi's body loses its grossness, its heaviness, after use of certain pranayams. Again, pranayams here, not just the breathing technique, but the ability to lift the life force up away from the body. Then it will levitate or hop around like a leaping frog. Even saints who do not practice a formal yoga have been known to levitate during a state of intense devotion to God. So again over here, it's important to know, it's not techniques alone that is important for us. What's important here is how we can lift this energy up because this is what devotion does for us anyway. Devotion takes our life force and lifts it up to the heart. And then as the heart opens, the energy then continues further to the point between the eyebrows. This is also what pranayama is trying to do for us. So if you understand what it is that's meant to happen, then you focus on doing that and you don't get so caught up just on outward technique. Oh, oh, this saint did bhastrika, okay, now I have to do a lot of bhastrikas. That's not true. You have to lift the energy up and gain control. Over here he talks about other saints. In Christianity, you've got Saint Teresa of Avila, you've got Saint uh, Joseph of Cupertino. You have John of the Cross. All of them are known to have started to levitate during their meditations, during their prayers. In fact, a funny incident of who I think Joseph of Cupertino was his brothers. You know, he'd be there praying and his fellow monks, the moment they'd see him levitate, they'd have to jump on him and hold him down because sometimes he'd levitate all the way till the ceiling. And it's like, how do you bring him back down after that? And so they would, you know, have to physically hold him down because in that lightness, in that energy that would rise to just want to reach up to God, the body just lost all its physical grossness and heaviness. You want to add anything? Why don't you continue on then? I was just thinking about the story of John of the Cross. We went, we have been several times um, we have done two or three pilgrimage to in Spain about these places where Saint Teresa of Avila and Saint John of the Cross uh, lived and meditated and spent many hours in communion with God. There is a very beautiful story of Saint John of the Cross where it says that people and the monks and nuns and people he counseled, they couldn't say the name of God or bring him outwardly the name of God because just by that very thought 
he would levitate. Such, it was that story, right? Yeah. Such was his devotion to the divine. And I was thinking, wow, and these people, they didn't have specific techniques. They didn't even know why they were levitating. They, they just, their love for God was so deeply, so strong that that very thought could, you know, lift them physically and go beyond the law of gravity. So something important for us to keep in mind that a thought well directed with all our heart, with all our mind can really, if not uplift us physically from the world, from the floor, from the ground, but really can uplift our consciously tremendously. Um, okay, what do we have here? Mm-mm. I want to stop here a little bit more because when the saint um, Yogananda says, I heard that the saint never leaves home. And I was thinking for all of us right now that are in the lockdown, it's really a wonderful opportunity to become saints. I mean, now we can see that you don't really need to go out outwardly. And what I'm trying to say here is everything that we are looking for, every fulfillment, every sense of joy, every understanding, every knowledge, every guidance, everything is within us. That's the true pilgrimage that we need to walk. That's the true place where we need to start exploring within ourselves. So this, in a sense, to me, um, brings a wonderful image of where we need to keep reminding ourselves that you know, let's go every day a bit more inward. Let's bring our energies, interiorize them a little bit more. There is nothing really outside ourselves that is even real. And I know this is a very high concept and um, a teaching. It's very difficult for us, for us to understand that everything is Maya, even though it's true. But let's find ways where we start depending more and more from that inner guidance, that inner presence, than all the things that are outside ourselves, because we are indeed becoming slaves from all the, for all those things outside. So let's regain that mastery over our senses and and i like that specific sentence i heard he never leaves home symbolic of i don't need to go out of myself so often i don't need to get myself so restless or running behind things that eventually like the tiger swami will come to a point in our lives that whether we have fulfilled all our desires or whether we have become so disappointed in all our experiences that we'll have each one of us really that turning point that will help us to realize you know there is nothing really in this world 
that is going to give me the happiness and the joy that is already within me. So how can I keep touching that joy and reminding myself that's my true nature and how to bring out that nature? Good. Should we close here? Yeah, you can finish once more. One one chapter more one paragraph more okay so yogananda continues on this in fact same vein as um, narayani just said why he never leaves his home when yogananda goes to visit him yeah, in fact it says here that the yogi is was inaccessible to the general public a lone disciple occupying the ground floor guarded his master's privacy and so when Yogananda went there to visit him, the disciple would say, do you have an engagement? And uh, the moment the, his guru heard his voice from upstairs, he came down and said, let Mukunda come when he will. And then he says here, my rule of seclusion is not for my own comfort, but for that of others. Worldly people do not like the candor with shatter, which shatters their delusions. Saints are not only rare, but disconcerting. Even in scripture, they are often found embarrassing. So he's being a little humorous here, of course. But he's bringing out an interesting point. He's saying that I'm not interested in worldly people. In the sense, if we hear that there is a saint nearby, we will want to go and have darshan of his and we will want to go and have darshan because because we hope that he will do something for us in return that he will give us that which we are looking for that in his presence somehow i will receive something maybe if i pray in front of him it will be fulfilled maybe i can just tell him the problem i'm going through and he will wave his hand and something will happen but over here again he's saying true saints and this is again an important point True saints aren't interested in these worldly matters. And he says over here that such worldly people, it's very hard for them to have their delusions shattered. And this is what saints are here to do. They're here to shatter our delusions, not pamper it. So in a, in a sense, uh, Bhadri Mahasha is saying, I'm not only asking, you know, privacy for my own sake, which he is because he, he wants to, like we are right now, stay a little removed from that vibration. But more importantly, he knows if people come to see him, he's just going to <laughs> break them. And he knows they're not ready for that. Most people won't be able to handle that. He says here, uh, he humorously, even in scripture, saints are often found embarrassing because you've got these saints they'll just do all these weird things that aren't you know societal convention and that's where we have to also realize that it's not society's rules that we are following it is divine laws that we must be aligning our own lives to and really recognize if in fact your desire is as Baduri Mahajaya, as all these saints in the autobiography, as young Mukunda's desire was, if it is for God, well, it's going to have to take an entire shift of your perspective. Uh, in our Gita classes, we've been really dwelling on this fact, which was what was Arjuna's confusion and despondency, was this deep desire to move up. 
but also a desire not to let go of the things that were holding him down. And this is really what our, all our issues are. At this stage, while we want God, we're not yet ready to let go of a lot of our tendencies. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. This is where we are. This is what we have to work with. But know that this is something you have to work with. Don't delude yourself into thinking somehow you can take all your things and lift them up with you, hoping that you will be able to take all egoic identifications with you into the next steps, into the light. Well, you're going to have to leave a lot behind and see if you're willing to leave a lot behind. Narayani ended the previous chapter kind of really helping us see, do we really want this? And that, I believe, is what these two chapters, just this beginning that we've started of our seventh chapter already. Do we really want this? Is this something that's real for us? Is this something that we are willing to put out a lot more energy, a lot more effort than we have? Because it's going to take, it's going to take a lot more than listening to the words of the autobiography. It's going to take a lot more than just being inspired by how wonderful these saints were. It's going to take work and uh, we need to be willing to do that work. And th these saints aren't going to do it for us, but they're sure going to <laughs> break all delusions we have which hold us back. And if you're ready for that, and if your desire is sincere, well, I'm sure God will send you just the right saint, will send you your Guru's blessings and grace whenever he finds you ready. And in that readiness, we bless the rest of your day.